Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every day, decisions are made across Maine that impact our environment, and Mainers play a crucial role as we speak up for climate action, the clear air, clear water, and open spaces that we all love. Come sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories that you need to know, what lies ahead, and hear what you can do about it. Thanks for listening as we share our view from the front lines. Well, there's a lot we know and a lot we still don't know about the results of the November 8th election and how it'll affect Maine's environment. What we do know is that Maine voters have preserved a bipartisan pro-environment majority at the state house, signaling an opportunity for continued progress on many of our priorities like climate action, land conservation, and waste reduction. Uh, We also know that the first two Somali-American legislators in Maine are headed to the state house. Uh, Meanwhile, across the U.S., the picture is a little more fuzzy. Uh, I'm your host, Colin Durant, and I'm joined today by NRCM's interim CEO and advocacy director, Pete Didesheim, to give us just a sneak peek at our initial analysis of this year's state and federal elections and what it means for our collective work to protect the nature of Maine. First, I just wanted to give you a programming note. Pete's going to be providing a much more in-depth analysis on a Zoom webinar uh, webinar this coming Tuesday, November 15th. I'm sure there'll be lots of good stats and details, so be sure to visit nrcm.org to sign up if you're interested in joining us online for that election analysis event. Pete, thanks once again for uh, joining us. Yeah, glad to be here, and thanks for the promo for the fuller edition in the webinar coming next week. Yeah. Woohoo! Um, so I think it's safe to say a lot of us didn't know what to expect from Tuesday's election. Uh, what's become clear is that many environmental champions were rewarded with another trip to Augusta. So can you just give us a, a few of your big picture observations about these election results? Sure, glad to. Uh, first, I should point out that NRCM does not get involved in candidate elections, but outcomes really matter to us. So we do get deeply involved in analyzing the election results um, because we need to know who the people are that we're going to be working with over the state house to help protect Maine's environment. And on that point, I do feel really positive about the outcome here in Maine for a few reasons. Um, first, as always, I'm heartened and inspired by the turnout here in Maine and how smoothly the elections went. Mm-hmm. There was long lines at polling places, certainly at mine. Uh, There was no efforts to disrupt the ability of Maine people to cast their votes. The Secretary of State is predicting that turnout might be around 70%, which would be extremely high for a midterm election. And it actually could put us in the slot as highest in the nation for state turnout during a midterm. So that's awesome. There we go. Yeah. Right there. You know, despite all of the money and all the negative ads, and there was a lot of them, all these efforts to try to tap into anger and division none of that really seemed to work. You know, Maine people decided that a big pendulum swing didn't make much sense. Uh, They voted to continue moving forward as we've been doing. And I think that is the right thing. And as you said, in our area, we're ending up with a continued significant bipartisan majority for the environment. So this is really good when it comes to environmental policy because we've been making significant progress in recent years. And we can keep up that momentum 
it's critically important because we've passed many bills that are now moving into the implementation phase, particularly on climate action, but also uh, uh, in areas like PFAS and conserving land and protecting water and extended producer responsibility programs that are now in rulemaking. A big disruptive change would have put some of these programs at risk, mm -hmm. even if doing so would have been strongly opposed by main people. So those are just some kind of big picture positive things. Yeah, lots of good news. And talking about the election being run, I mean, so I voted absentee. I filled out the form online, which is fantastic, and got my ballot the next day in the mail. Yeah, I, I was, it was amazing, think, uh, which I hadn't think. happened in past years. So Secretary, <laughs> you know, props to the Secretary of State's office and all those poll workers. Um, you were talking about the environment. I've just... I think our listeners might be a little curious to hear to what extent the environment was an issue on the state level campaigns here in Maine. Yeah, let me start at kind of a kind of a bigger picture of of kind of a, a few stats, and then I'll get into that topic. Yeah. So I have been geeking out over the past couple of days analyzing the election results, and I was watching the uh, the campaigns fairly closely while they were happening. Um, and at the state house, it's pretty fascinating to me, and I guess not expected uh, that there isn't that much change despite mm -hmm. you know big wave elections in the past at midterm moments uh, there was no big wave there was actually no wave uh, really here the senate is going to stay pretty much the exact same ratio it was with 22 democrats and 13 republicans the house is almost going to stay in the exact same place it was there'll be 82 democrats in, instead of 80 uh, and 67 republicans instead of 66 and two independents. So despite redistricting, lots of campaigning, um, pretty much things are going to stay the, the way they were. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the environment as an issue, you know, it really didn't come up that much. Uh, there was a few attempts to try to force it into campaigns. Uh, in the governor's race, there was an attempt to, to tie her to a claim that that uh, she was causing oil prices to increase, and I think the voters pretty recognize, you know, pretty quickly recognized that that's that has to do with the war in Russia and other mm -hmm. forces. And if anything, we should be getting, uh, we should be working hard to to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. And there was efforts to to claim that her support for a bill to on uh, extended producer responsibility will hold corporations responsible for paying for the price of recycling and, re, and uh, disposal of, of manufacturing waste was somehow gonna increase grocery prices. That was false too. And there was also an effort to try to make the claim that the governor's support for fish passage and healthy rivers in the Kennebec between Waterville and Skowhegan was gonna put the sappy paper mill at risk, kind of a classic environment versus jobs argument. Um, this is totally false uh, and the the uh, governor's um, opponent really tried to make this a big issue in Skowhegan and Fairfield and Madison and Waterville. And I looked at the results, election results for 2018 and 2022, mm -hmm. and there's essentially no difference in the votes. Um, so people weren't falling for it. Um, if anything, the vote for the governor increased in Waterville. Uh, so they're really, you know, the environment wasn't really an issue. And I think that's really good news for us mm -hmm. because um, trying to roll back environmental laws, and that's often how it becomes an issue, um, I think has become a third rail in Maine politics. 
I think that when people have tried to make that a wedge issue, a polarizing issue, telling voters they have to choose between the environment or jobs, um, try to pull it into the culture wars or, or the culture separation, um, I don't think people want to hear any of that. And I think that's, um, that is not what uh, garners people to you know, vote for a particular legislator. I think most voters recognize that clean energy makes sense. Protecting clean air, clean water is a good thing. We all mm -hmm. benefit from creating more public access to conserved lands. Climate change is real. It's a really big problem. We need to act on it. So um, in many ways, I was really glad that the environment was not so much mm -hmm. of an issue and that people want to stay the course and continue with the progress we've been making. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it a lot. It's just a shared value that Mainers have, I think, regardless of political yeah. stripe, where you, you know, oh. where you live, who you, who you are. It's uh, we all appreciate it and know that it takes work to to be able to protect those places. And we've been doing it in a bipartisan way for decades, yep. and people want to keep it up. And it's it's a unifying force. It should never be a, a, an issue that divides us. It's how yep. we come together, and it's it's got power that um, kind of defines who we are as Mainers. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Um, well, let's just shift gears to the elections across the country. As I mentioned, the picture uh, there is a little fuzzier, given especially given we're taping this just two days after the election. Uh, however, what we do know is that traditionally the party holding the White House uh, loses big in the midterm elections. That didn't seem to happen that time around. You sort of alluded to the wave not being really a wave. That was true nationally to a certain extent. But so can what what can you tell us about what happened, how that's going to impact action in Congress over the next uh, few years? Sure. Yeah, usually there are big swings against the party that holds the White House. And in 1994, Democrats lost 54 seats in President Clinton's first midterm election. And President Obama lost 63 seats in 2010. Um, and this time around, it's it's much, much less than that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think there's been a lot of commentary, a lot of pundits that have been speaking to this. Um, it still leaves us with a, 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 a deeply divided nation. Um, but I think the margin in the House is going to be much less than, you know, the Republicans are expected to take over uh, the majority in the U.S. House and the Senate uh, will be unknown for another month or so. So regardless of how it ends up, the, the margins are going to be very close. Um, this may make it, it probably will make it more difficult to achieve progress in Washington on anything. Uh, but you know, funding bills still need to go through. The mm -hmm. president can veto legislation. Um, there's a bunch of big, important legislation that has been passed uh, this year and last year. The Inflation Reduction Act has really important investment programs for addressing climate and clean energy and job creation in those areas. So though implementation of many of those programs are, that are critical for us in Maine are going to continue. Uh, uh, Senators King and Collins both have a lot of influence it appears that Jared Golden will win re-election through ranked choice vote uh, outcome that is uh, probably going to play out next week. Um, but kind of putting that aside, I think what it it all of this means is that action at the state level is more important than ever. Mm. And I think there's going to be kind of a gridlock situation uh, in the U.S. Congress. And I think here in Maine, we have the opportunity and the momentum to just keep moving forward as we have. And 
for the climate action plan, Maine won't wait. I don't think we need to wait. I don't. I think we just keep moving ahead with implementation. And I think there's some some opportunities to accelerate action over the next two to four years. And I think that that's exciting. More more towns are getting involved. More businesses are getting involved. And I think this will be um, a great opportunity for for Maine to continue to to distinguish itself as a as a state that that wants to demonstrate leadership in addressing the climate threat. Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's been so much progress here in Maine. And uh, like you said, so many, so many great opportunities for us to just continue that momentum. And, um, you know, I just wanted to while while I just wanted to note that while we might see some progress stalling in Congress and DC, there's still a lot of federal investment that's going to be coming from several bills that were passed over the last couple of years. And so a lot of those actions we take here in the state are going to define whether or not we can maximize that, you know, that funding and the benefit for Maine people. I think, you know, what was it? 34 Maine school districts. Uh, there are 34 electric school buses that were awarded to, I think it was 13 main school districts across yeah. the state. And it, that was just, um, you know, I mean, what Maine was awarded really stood out from, from other states. And that's because of what you said, you know, people coming together, state level, at, at, at Department of Education, Department of Transportation, Governors, you know, the uh, GOPIF, the, um, and, and really coming together to to try to maximize that funding. And so to your point, you know, let's take advantage of these opportunities here in in in, in Maine so that we can maximize that benefit yep. to Maine, Absolutely. to Maine people. Yeah. And we and NRCM play, pays a lot of close attention to these implementation programs. Mm. Make sure that we get our, you know, uh get as, as much as we can out of these opportunities. Mm -hmm. Well, so I want to take a moment. We're we're wrapping up, but I want to take a moment to talk about first. Uh, a few of which I alluded to at the beginning of the pod, but both here in Maine and across the country, because there were some exciting, inspiring leaders that were uh, elected here here in Maine. Can you tell us about some of them? Yeah. Um, first of all, I should just say that I, I, you know, there's a huge number of new legislators here uh, elected in the state of Maine, and um, it's it's really a record. We're going to have 53 brand new lawmakers coming mm. to the House of, to this uh, who are elected as representatives who have never served before. That's more than a third is mostly due to term limits. And a big part of what we'll be doing in the in the months ahead is learning who these people are, developing relationships, finding uh, opportunities for for moving forward. And it always just really intrigues me and interests me and heartens me that people decide to run for office mm -hmm. from such a variety of, of backgrounds. Uh, there's a legislator um, from Bodenham who worked in the army uh, developing a vaccine for malaria. There's a former NASCAR driver from Fort Kent that's been elected. There's a, a guy down in York who was you know, part of their climate action plan. There's a there's a uh, a woman, uh, Cameron Rennie, who was a school counselor from Bristol. She won her seat uh, in uh, Lincoln County, and she's championing on climate and in the environment. And and so, first of all, there's just a whole bunch of people who are brand new to the system and to the process. And so that's exciting. It's also exciting that Maine, as you mentioned earlier, has elected two Somali American legislators. Uh, this will be a first uh, Deca Deloc from South Portland and 
Mana Abdi from Lewiston. Uh, that'll be um, uh, exciting. And uh, this legislative session also is going to have, again, pretty much close to a record high number of women serving in the main state house. Um, I think there'll be 81. Uh, and that's um, exciting 67 in the House, 14 in the Senate. And just by comparison, in 2005, it was half that 32 mm. um, uh, in the House and 11 in the Senate. And just looking back up into the national level, there was all lots of firsts that have been reported on and, and exciting people. But I did, it was interesting to me to, to learn that there was, um, there were more than a thousand LGBTQ candidates running for office this year in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. And at least 340 of those were elected. And these were firsts, um, the most in US history at a total number and the most elected um, overall. So I think that's really exciting also. Yeah, that's super exciting to see and hear about that progress, you know, that shift to more accurately reflect the diversity of America. Um, so, Pete, what's next? What's next? What's next here in Maine in particular? What can our listeners expect, um, you know, as we're actually heading into the next legislative session that's going to kick off in, in a couple months here in January of 2023? Oh, yeah. And it gets going uh, even faster. In fact, it's it, uh, legislative leadership races will happen will happen next week. Uh, the orientation program for new lawmakers will also start next week. There'll be a swearing in ceremony the first week of December. That's always an exciting day when legislators and their family members and spouse and friends show up at the state house to see them sworn into office. Uh, there's a lot of vacancies because there's so much turnover in the in the state house. There's more than 60 vacancies on the committees that we pay attention to and lawmakers put in the requests for committee assignments. That all gets worked out before the end of December. There's a deadline in December when all lawmakers need to submit any bill title uh, or concept that they wanna pursue. So there'll probably be a couple thousand new bills introduced before the end of December. And then we're off to the races in January and the whole process begins. So it will be exciting to see um, how we're going to make continued progress in the state of Maine. It's no longer a question now that we're on this side of the, you know, on the other side of the elections, whether we're going to make progress, we're going to make continued progress. Mm. And in the last four years, we passed more than 100 positive bills and spending measures compared to the previous eight years where most of our energy was focused on defeating 100 bad bills. So we're going to continue moving forward. And so it's going to be exciting to see what we can accomplish in the year ahead, working with our, our new uh, legislature and with our colleagues and allies across the state. Yeah, for sure. Let's keep that momentum going. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Pete, thanks as always for joining us, giving us this really excellent insight. You've got, uh, you know, unparalleled experience working on environmental advocacy in Maine State House over the past several decades. It shows when we're able to get your best thinking on elections like this. I can certainly and other staff members can attest um, to the energy and enthusiasm you bring to this task. We got an email at like 5 a.m. in the morning. Um, the day after the election with Pete's thoughts. And it's yeah, actually, it's at, I've been up for a while by the time I said, yeah, I'm sure I'm, did you even go to sleep? Um, I, did, I did go to sleep. Yes. All right. All right. There you go. 
Um, but that was, it was great to see. And, and it's really helpful and really level setting actually to, to get that info. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I like it. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, if you want to dig deeper into, a, uh, into Pete's analysis, get some more details, learn more of Pete's thoughts on the election and its impact on Maine's environment, we'll be holding a Zoom webinar online Tuesday, November 15th. Visit nrcm.org to RSVP and get the link. So hope, hope to see you there. Uh, and finally, just a quick programming note. The NRCM offices are going to be closed the entire week of Thanksgiving. And our next bi-weekly episode would have been scheduled to drop that week. Since we're all going to be out of the office and taking a break, we've decided to also take a break from our podcast too. So you can expect our next podcast to drop Thursday, December 8th. Uh, until then, thanks as always for listening. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends, family, and neighbors, and have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoy this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and several other podcast listening apps. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of the Maine people science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work, visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.